What's up? You are now listening to the Next Level Confident Podcast with Janelle and A. If you are ready to challenge your previous ways of thinking and take action on the bold, purpose-driven life you were created for, you'll want to keep listening. On the show, we will vulnerably discuss finding your purpose in life, strengthening your mindset, building quality relationships, and prioritizing your health. I hope you're as excited as I am. Let's do this. Welcome to the Next Level Confident Podcast. I'm your host, Janelle Lene, and today I'd like to welcome Michael Robert Eck. He's a superhero coach with a mission to help individuals access and activate their power so they can lead heroic lives. He's a cancer survivor, father, and grandfather. So, Michael, what is something cool going on in your world right now? Uh, I guess just coming out of my cancer journey probably is the most exciting thing that's happening. Um, and now I'm just really getting my coaching practice really starting to get going again after taking this year to, you know, just battle the cancer. So that's been my story in the past, I guess, 12 or 13 months. Um, so just getting the superhero revolution coaching program going and, you know, connecting with a lot of people and be, I'm part of a mastermind as well, which is really helping kind of lift off and launch my business. Wow. So cool. I love that. And don't worry, everyone listening, we're going to get deeper into that, the whole cancer journey and everything like that. But just so you guys know, while you're listening, if you want to follow Michael on Instagram, his Instagram is Michael Robert Eck, and Eck is spelled E-C-K, or you can visit his website, which is www.herorevolution.com. Obviously, it's all linked below, so you can just go ahead and check him out there. And Michael, do you work with any specific kind of client or? Uh, not particularly. I mean, uh, I work with just about anybody that wants to really step into their power, you know, lead a heroic life. And what that really means is living their best life. A lot of people kind of get complacent in life and then they get sick and tired. For me, one of my moments of clarity came, you know, we'll talk about this probably, but when I was being induced into a coma and basically on my deathbed, and I remember thinking, let's, let's just go into it now. Yeah. All right. Share yeah. It. So Share it now. All right, well, I'll, I'll kind of start from the beginning a little bit on that. So I am uh, from Connecticut originally my whole life, pretty much. Um, I did live out here in San Diego back way back, probably before you were born, uh, Janelle, back in 1984. And uh, <laughs> I hitchhiked out here. I was always a searcher. So when I was 18, I hitchhiked out here from Connecticut, 3000 miles and only spent about eight months in here, uh, eight months here. Got into a little bit of trouble, went back to Connecticut. Anyway, back in June of last year, I came out to attend a four-day workshop with the Life on Fire uh, group, Nick and Megan Unsworth, uh, it was called Abundance, and it was a great workshop in June of uh, 2019. And I declared that I was going to come live out here within uh, by January. And I just loved the environment. I thought it was a great place to really get my uh, – my life coaching practice really launched off. I'd just gotten rid of a martial arts school that I owned back in Connecticut. And I just was looking for something different. I've got three grown daughters. You know, they've been, you know, on their own for a long time and doing great. They've got a great mom and a great stepdad. So they've got that structure there. And I just figured they'd have a great place to visit out here. So when that happened, I uh, went home after that four day conference. And instead of waiting till January, I waited about 30 days. Wow. Yeah, just really Dang. bold move. And that's what it's about in life is making some bold moves. So when I came out here, the first, I think the, or the second weekend, the first time I stepped into the Pacific Ocean, I got stung by a stingray. <laughs> and uh, of course, my luck, the first time I go in there. 
Now I've had quite a history of uh, bumps and bruises and incidences. Uh, I'm also a hemophiliac, which is a bleeding disease. So I, um, you know, bleed easily and don't stop. He's a bleeder. So um, <laughs> the, bleeder. The, uh, the stingray uh, incident caused some swelling in my foot and some uh, exterior bleeding. So I ended up going to the hospital to get some medication for my hemophilia. And during that, they they were doing a, an exam on me and they were checking my lymph nodes for anything swollen, see if there was an infection. And he, he checked the uh, lymph nodes under my left armpit and noticed a small, like maybe a grape size lump. So from there, he said, hey, you know, you should go get that, get that checked out. Wow. So I kind of forgot about it, but I started feeling it was growing and growing. So I ended up making an appointment with the GP and through that, he checked it and thought it was just, a, I think it's called lipoma, which is just a benign kind of mass and it should probably be removed. So he referred me to a surgeon, went to the surgeon, surgeon felt it and it was growing at this point and said, well, I think we need to get some CT scans. And I said, well, okay, well, when are we going to do that? And she said, like this afternoon. So I got my CT scans. She called me later that night around 6.30 at night. I thought it would take a little while to get the results, but... She looked at the preliminary results and basically said, it's not what we had hoped. And she had referred me to an oncologist. So I guess a couple of weeks later, maybe a week later, I went to an oncologist. Uh, it was a, a lymphoma specialist. The lymphoma is very treatable cancer. You know, obviously I was like, what's going on here? But I felt really confident that whatever it was, I would overcome it. And when was this again? Like, what's the time? So this was point? October 5th. October 15th is when I went to the oncologist. The next day was my 54th oh, 2019. birthday. 2019. Yeah. The next day was my 54th birthday. I'm like, what'd you get for your birthday? Cancer. Yay. You know? 54. Yeah. Yeah, happy day, right? <laughs> so uh, wow. anyway, ended up uh, after through a process of it, then had to get a PET scan and a biopsy. So I go back to this lymphoma specialist and I remember very vividly, she sits down, she like puts her hand on my knee and she had this kind of look on her face of, you know, I don't know. So she basically said, it's not lymphoma. I'm really sorry. I'm like, well, that's a really good thing, isn't it? So, well, actually it's metastatic advanced melanoma and there's no real cure for it. And again, when I think of melanoma, I think of skin cancer, but what I had was metastasized, which means it went through my skin and into my bloodstream and was mm. metastasized throughout my body now possibly. So through that process, I ended up um, basically, you know, getting some more tests and stuff. And she referred me to a specialist for melanoma. And, you know, again, I, I remember, you know, I had to call my daughters. It was, it was awful. Um, my youngest daughter was going to be getting married in 2020, May. She's like, daddy, you know, you're going to be there to mark me down my, you know, walk down the aisle, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I said, Taylor, you know, you know, your dad, you know, I'm, I've, I've been through a lot of different things in my life and I knew that I was overcome this, but obviously I was also nervous. So through that process, what happened was uh, I ended up talking to the oncologist and we went with a kind of a newer therapy. It's called immunotherapy because regular chemo and regular radiation doesn't really work for it. And it's a death sentence for, for most people. I mean, probably 80% of the people, it's like a 12 month death sentence, you know? Yeah. So uh, did the immunotherapy, it was going to be four infusions over a 12 week period. So once every three weeks, I was going to get an infusion. And he said, you know, it's not the side effects like regular chemo, but there's some real bad side effects that can happen. 
I'm like, I got this, you know, four infusions. I got this, you know, no problem. So after that first infusion, I'll never forget, uh, you know, I was feeling good. I remember going to the gym and like, you know, I'm a martial, martial arts is my background since 1970, since I was a kid. So I remember doing like a jump spinning crescent kick to the bag and, you know, putting on bit on video, you know, cancer's got no shot against me. Right. So I'm just, <laughs> is again, stepping into my power of, um, you know, after, you know, you being, you know, using affirmations and really believing that I could heal. And, you know, obviously I set up structures for eating, you know, I was eating raw for a while and doing all these things while I was also doing the Western medicine. Anyway, after that first infusion, about a week later, I went with some friends uh, up to a Joshua tree in California here. And I started my, my breathing was, I was really struggling with my breathing. Now they said that the, uh, the melanoma had possibly metastasized to my lungs. So I thought maybe that was the problem. I come back and on December, I think 12th or so, I went into the hospital. They admitted me because of the breathing. And I remember after the second night, uh, like the emergency team came running into my room because my oxygen level was way off. You know, I was having to breathe through oxygen. And they're like, what's he not, you know, he needs to be in ICU. So they bring me up to ICU and uh, at that point, my brother and my oldest daughter, I have three daughters that are 28, 30, and 32. My oldest daughter came out with my brother and then my best friend. And, you know, just because I was out here alone, you know, I'd come out here just to kind of reinvent a little bit. And, you know, that third chapter of my life, uh, just to change it up. So what happened was uh, I was really struggling. I remember a team of doctors came in and said, you know, look, if you don't improve, we're going to need to intubate you. And induce you into a coma and I'm like whoa 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 whoa! what are you talking about you know you don't oh. have to do that and uh they're like well no we really do you know it's it's I'm like you know and I'm again really positive I remember that Saturday at the hospital I had like in a short period of time I made a lot of friends and you know you know in the community uh, I've been in recovery for a long time so uh, as an ex-alcoholic uh, and drug addict I've you know I have a huge I kind of jumped dived into that community when I moved out here and everybody's so supportive so a lot of people were visiting me that day in the hospital and my daughter had shown up. She's like, dad, you got to stop talking. You know, you're breathing. <laughs> oh my God, dad, you talk too much. Calm down. <laughs> yeah. And I was just really positive, even though that I knew that I was, you know, very sick. And uh, they said, well, look, we're going to let it go the night. And in the morning though, if it's not looking better, we're going to induce you. So remember in the morning, I didn't feel that much different, but the doctors came in and, you know, through all the tests and stuff, they said, all right, we need, we need to do this. And at this point, my other two daughters were getting on a plane. Uh, to come back to come out here for that Sunday and I said okay well you know we got to wait like six hours you know my kids are flying from the east coast and it's like no 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 we're doing it like in the next 30 minutes you know wow. and um so that moment before they're inducing me into a coma you know and I said you know I said what you know what are the risks what's that you know what's going to happen they said well you know we don't know when you're going to come out of it and I'm like am I going to come out of it and they said we can't we can't guarantee you that I mean it was that serious that there was a good shot that I would not come out of it, you know, and here are my two of my kids are getting on a plane and uh, talking to my youngest, especially who was going to be getting married, you know, just, uh, it was obviously really emotional. But um, prior to this, I had really started to uh, put my cancer journey out, you know, in public, like on social media. Now, the reason why I did that was a couple of things. First of all, it allowed me to engage in my recovery and not like curl up on the couch and watch Netflix. Mm. It allowed me to really like engage on a daily basis and tell my story. And I knew, you know, that I would have a lot of people praying for me, which is really important to me. And I knew that I, will, I would get 
strength from the support of so many people. And the people on the East Coast, people here on the West Coast, I can't tell you how important that is when you're going through something to, you know, ask for help, ask for support, you know, be vulnerable, let people know really how you're doing and stuff. And people will, I'm telling you, people will rise up for you. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. So that's really what happened. So I've been kind of posting things about my journey so far to that point and having a lot of fun. I like to laugh about things, keep it, keep the fun meter in the red. And, um, <laughs> you know, so what happened was right before I was going to be induced into the coma, I, you know, my brother's like, Hey, do you want to do a video? You know, cause I, I wasn't even able to call the people that I loved. My kids were on a plane. I didn't know if I was going to see him again. It was that, you know, that, that crazy. And, um, uh, so I did a video and in that video, I talked about faith over fear, you know, that I, it's like, I was, first of all, I wasn't afraid to die, but I also didn't want to die because I knew that God still had a plan for me. That's really mm -hmm. what, the way I felt. And I felt like, I also had a lot of broken promises in life through my active addiction and things like that, you know, where I was like trying to rebuild some things in my life and I didn't want to like leave it. I wanted to, and I wanted to build a legacy with my children, my grandchildren. And, um, so that video went viral. I mean, basically like, you know, like 15,000 views, you know, hundreds of shares, people were wow. praying and you know, all, so many people are like, Hey, this is Michael, you know, and a lot of people were saying about maybe, you know, some of the things that I've done for them in their lives throughout the years and uh, really positive, you know, and it just helped so much. But I guess, you know, the biggest thing was like being in that position. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that may not be on their deathbed, but they might be on the couch and in a way they're in the, on their deathbed. Do you know what I mean? They're just like yeah. living life, going through the paces. They're like on that treadmill or in that hamster wheel and they're doing the same thing over and over again. And I've been there, you know? Um, so those are, when we're talking about people to work with, like those are some of the people that I would love to work with that, you know, maybe they feel they're stuck like that, but they want to get out of it and they don't know how. And as you know, as a coach, you know, helping some people, you know, step into their power and amazing things can happen from there. So, you know, that's, I guess, a long answer for that question but um if you want i'll kind of tell oh, you okay hold on one more question yeah. so you you were starting to share in the beginning something about like you were just about to go into your coma yeah and so, we're on that cliffhanger i mean we obviously know you came yeah. out but like how long were you in a coma like oh yeah so basically um three days yeah yes. which is you know fortunate um you know my so my, my kids were out there my best friend and my brother um and it was, you know, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was emotional, you know, still, it, still emotional for me. Um, you know, thinking about my kids arriving off an airplane and seeing me, you know, in that position with the tube stuck down my throat and, you know, you know, not sure if I was going to come out of it. I'll never forget my daughter, Kirsten, brought some healing crystals and, um, a bunch of photos from when they were kids and my youngest daughter brought um if you see that red thing behind me mm -hmm. it's a little squeeze thing that says i love you and i had given given that to her when she was a little kid and she brought it out for me and stuff so uh so when i came out of it um you know my kids were there it was you know one of the you know happiest moments of my life obviously you know i'll never forget they said you know do you want to try to get up and i'm like yeah like get me up and I could barely like talk or anything, you know, or anything, and, you know, I'm like, get me up. And I'm, you know, so the next video after that of the, like, before I was going into the, 
coma was me walking with my thumbs up with the nurses walking me down. And um, so I was in the hospital for 26 days. Uh, at one point, you know, they said, you know, we don't know if, uh, you know, we might need to put them in a coma again. And I was not having that. So, so I really, yeah, I really kind of, um, you know, use the power of the mind really more at that point than any. And I really wanted to get as physical as possible in the ICU. I was the only person that was like, you know, walking with an oxygen tank, but going down to the shower to take a shower myself. Nobody was doing that, you know, and all the nurses and the doctors were like just shocked with my recovery, how quickly I was recovering. And that's just having that fight inside you. Anyway, I got out of the hospital after 26 days. I had to go on oxygen and they didn't know why my lungs were so bad. And they thought um, I'd have to go on oxygen for the rest of my life. By the way, I didn't even tell you this. What happened was I got pneumonitis, which is a drug-induced pneumonia from that immunotherapy treatment. That oh. one, in, now the one infusion also helped, and it shrunk my tumor a lot, so it helped, but it almost killed me. Um, but that's what happened. So they couldn't really. They said, you know, you, you, there's a chance you're going to be on oxygen the rest of your life. Now here I am, you know, I've been an MMA trainer, boxing trainer. I mean, I've, my whole life has been physical, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I need to do something about that, but. So I get out of the hospital, I've got oxygen, and my brother and sister-in-law came out to help take care of me for a week. And then my daughter and my two granddaughters came out uh, for a week, which is like, was the most amazing thing. There's a great picture on my Facebook pro, um, on, the, on the cover photo, which is me uh, walking with uh, oxygen and my two little granddaughters like holding my hands, you know? And when they came out, it was like the most beautiful thing. Anyway, while my daughter was here with the grand, my granddaughters, you know, everything was progressing, but then all of a sudden things went south again. Mm. And I ended up back in the hospital almost dying again. I became sepsis and I uh, got an E. coli bacteria infection in my blood. And uh, I was in the hospital again for 11 days. Uh, at this time, at one point, the doctors again thought that I was going to have to be induced again. And I went into, again, another tool here for people. I went into a three-hour deep meditation and practicing my breath work. And uh, my girlfriend, who was there at the time, you know, saw the the oxygen level improve as I did that. Wow. Yeah, it's really incredible, you know? So between the power of prayer, faith over fear, you know, meditation, um, eating healthy, you know, and if I cheated, and I would cheat once in a while, you know, my daughter, especially my oldest daughter, she mothers me a little bit. She was all over me. Dad, you can't be eating sugar, you know? Yeah. She loves sugar. Way to don't eat sugar if you got cancer. <laughs> uh, anyway, so what happened was um, I got out of uh, that house. I was able to get out, and I'll never forget it. I was waiting to be discharged, and I had the oxygen with me, and you know, I was going to have to take oxygen home again. And I was just feeling good. My girlfriend was waiting for me outside, and you know, I was waiting for a nurse to come. And I remember I was waiting for like an hour to be discharged. I'm like, the heck with this, and I just walked out of the hospital. And I didn't even bring any oxygen. I didn't, I brought the oxygen with me, but I wasn't hooked up to it. I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to be on oxygen again for the rest of my life. And uh, I walked out and I get into the car, all this, you know, and she's like, what are you doing? Where's the nurse? I'm like, I just wasn't going to wait, you know, that came down. <laughs> but I'm Hi, in the car. I'm up time here. Bad boy. Yeah. So all of a sudden there's a knock on the window and just the nurse, she's like, Michael, what are you doing? You know, um, I want to talk later. to <laughs> And uh, I'm like, I'm so sorry, you know. But I also want to say too um, about that, what we were talking about, getting support from people. 
there were people that came into my hospital room every single day. You know, so the AA people brought like an AA meeting in there. People came in prayer, pray, prayed over me. Um, I'll never forget when I came out of my coma, one of my friends, Megan Unsworth, who's, you know, her and her husband have a big coaching practice and she was praying over, over me. You know, she was the first non-family member there. She was like praying over me. So um, the nurses were like, we've never seen anything like this. All these people that come through here. I think four different people came in with uh, guitars and sang to me. It was great. Wow. Yeah. So I just want to say that support is incredibly important. That, that support structure. I know during COVID, a lot of people have had to deal with like not people not being able to come into the hospital. And I, that's just, a, that's just, a, I feel a horrible thing. Um, because having family and friends and that support and people that are lifting you up, it's incredible during those, those kind of moments. So anyway, I haven't been on oxygen since then. Obviously, uh, they had to push off my surgery for my tumor a few times. Um, they put me on a chemotherapy pill, uh, which I take daily um, after that immunotherapy. They weren't going to give me that again because it almost killed me. So they gave me a very targeted chemotherapy pill that I'm actually still on. But they did a surgery in June because I'm a hemophiliac, there's risk for bleeding. So there's all kinds of issues when I have this stuff. Ah, so anyway, I came through the surgery and then um, in sep late September, around October 1st, almost exactly a year to the date, uh, I was basically told I'm cancer free. You know, so it's, I'm a miracle, you know, and I feel ah. like I have another chance to really go out and make an impact in the world. And that's really what it is about for me is, helping people make an impact in the world one way or another. Now, making an impact might just be, you know, coaching a kid's soccer team. It might be bringing water to a third world country. You know, it might be writing a book that's going to help, you know, millions of people. Um, but it can be on a, you know, small level. The way we change the world is we change it within a year, right? And then it expands. It's like that ripple effect. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing is just to, you know, change it right here, right now, especially in the political atmosphere that we have now and things like that. Right. You know, everybody gets so fired up. But I'm telling you, all you have to do is do the right thing here right now and, uh, you know, just be a good person. Whatever faith you might have, you know, step into that, I, I always suggest. And, uh, you know, just go out and get it, you know, but having a support structure and having a coach, those kind of things or some kind of a systematic approach, mm. an accountability partner, whatever you want. I mean, that's what's really going to you know, get you to the next level. Yeah, totally. Wow. Thank you for sharing that whole story. That's yeah. Literally, I, I'm sure so many people listening right now, their wheels are just like turning like, holy cow, how is Michael so positive and happy and like living, like you're writing yeah. a book right now, you're coaching people, like you're doing all this stuff. And you were literally just told you were cancer free like six weeks ago. You know, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, um, it's insane and it's such a blessing. Hello. Just in case you were starting to hit your mid-podcast lull, we're going to take a quick break from the regularly scheduled events to boost your energy and have a little extra fun around here. I'm going to ask today's guest rapid fire questions, and then we'll pop back into the conversation right where we left off. Here we go. All right, you guys, now we're moving into our power hour where I'm going to ask Michael rapid fire questions. Yeah, we'll be nervous about this. Woo! Yeah, we're going to ask some really crazy questions. No, I'm just right. kidding. Yep. It won't be that crazy. It won't be that crazy. Okay, Michael, what is the best advice you've ever received? Um, best advice I ever received was um, to be an optimist and be, you know, uh, look at the world in a real positive way. Who told you that? 
Um, my mother. Well, oh. My mom who passed away. My mom had her own cancer journey. She passed away 12 years ago. Oh, yeah. wow. God bless her. Thank you. And I'm glad she's passed along some incredible knowledge for you that and you're sharing sure. that with us today. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is your favorite beverage? My favorite beverage <laughs> at this point, now that it's not Jameson <laughs> whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> now that now I'll be honest with you, it's just uh, it's either water or like a, a dirty chai latte. Ooh, dirty chai latte. Mm -hmm. I'm down with the water too. Okay, I have a blank at my desk at all times. Um, well, I have a journal in my book, uh, a journal at my desk at all times. Yeah, journal. Mm -hmm. Okay, a strange or possibly bad habit that most people don't know that you have. I love those little Hostess chocolate-covered donuts. <laughs> yes. I always love the answers that come out of that question. <laughs> so good. Okay, what book or podcast are you reading or listening to right now? Um, book I am reading, if it's right here, hold on. Um, oh, this book right here, this book will make you dangerous by Trip Lanier. Mm -hmm. Trip uh, is the, um, the host of the New Man podcast. I worked with Trip about 12 years ago uh, coaching. He's one of the top men's coaches in the country. So I just picked up his book. Uh, this book will make you dangerous. Yeah. Are you feeling pretty dangerous so far or? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous. <laughs> He's dangerous, you guys. Watch out. Okay, cool. Um, favorite personality test, if any? Uh, I just, my daughter sent me one. I don't remember the name of it, but um, all I know is I'm an extrovert and um, I forget what else, but I, I just took it. I wish I had it in front of me, but. Is it the Myers-Briggs one? Is it like the four letters, like yeah. ENFJ yeah, yeah. or whatever? Yes, okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So you don't know what you are right now as of this moment. No, I think it might be ENFJ sounds familiar, but I know, I know it's you know, definitely um, like an influencer, uh, you know, outgoing, all that stuff. But yeah. Okay. Well, I'm an, an, an ENFJ, so let me know if you're an ENFJ. Okay. I'm, well, I'll hit you up on that for sure. Okay. Let me know. Let me know. Get back to me on that. Yeah, Big sure. personality test fan. Yes. Um, okay. Will you ever move from where you currently live? I will. Yes. Where do you think you'll go next? Um, I'll go back east to uh, be closer to my um, children and also my um my grandchildren and also my girlfriend who I won't tell you the whole story. I know you know a little bit about it, but when I was sick, my sixth grade girlfriend who I had not seen since 1980 found out I was sick and reconnected with me. And that was in, she came out to visit me in January and we've been together ever since. Woo! Nice. Yes. What a fun story. Sixth grade yes. girlfriend. It I mean, all we're came back. I want, to, I want to clarify that whole thing. I mean, we're friends kind of going and then it's you know eventually gone into this whole relationship thing which like we took a 40 40 year break you know yeah just a, just a short four year break just just a few years yeah that's awesome okay yeah. last question is best moment as a businessman best moment best moment as a businessman i guess um i guess best moment um I guess the best moment as a businessman was really uh, when I was 19 years old, my dad and I opened a pr small little printing company. And I remember uh, my best friend, Carmelo, who's still my best friend and my brother were there and we put the little sign up, you know, it was just 
us as, you know, we were so young. My dad was even so young in early 40s. And putting that sign up and looking at that photo now, uh, Bruce brings back a lot of memories. We built that company into, you know, a company that was doing like six, seven million dollars a year, you know, with lots of employees. I became president of it. And, but that just that moment of the beginning, you know, the start of something is really special. Hmm. Very cool. And with your yeah. dad and best friend. How yeah. beautiful is that? Yeah. Cool. So cool. Woo! That was exciting. I hope you are feeling energized like I am. Let's go ahead and get back to our regularly scheduled events. You know, one thing that I, I think of, I'm just going to tell a quick story sure. here, is yeah. that I, I had a, a, like people who know my story really well, they know that I, I have struggled, like back in the day, I struggled with thinking that I was going to die in a car accident at a young age. Yeah. I so saw it was that. Yeah. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah. I saw that. Um, and so that was like a mindset thing that I had completely put upon myself. And so I would say once I came out of that, it really did propel me to move forward. Mm. And so I think when you have these like near death type experiences, now mm -hmm. yours wasn't a choice. Mine, I weirdly subconsciously chose, but yeah. Right, right, exactly. And and so I think it's sometimes those like God can use those as blessings to to help propel people forward. It's but right. I do remember another time I went to a conference and it was actually, I'll say before the conference, before I actually hired this first coach, I actually didn't know that I had believed that limiting belief about dying in a car accident because it was so subconscious that I hadn't really talked about it. So I didn't know that was a part of my life, like at all. It's very weird, right? So it's like one thing I thought of a long time ago, but I forgot that it was even part of my story because I hadn't really done much reflecting and I hadn't done much time just searching through my mm. story of like, who am I? Sure. Um, and so I remember being at that conference and I was a personal trainer at that time and it, and it was all about like launching your own company and launching your own business. And I remember everyone who was on stage was telling these crazy stories, right? Like one, yeah. one woman, she her husband was beating her. So she had to like move, like live out of her car with her son. And, and mm. then she launched, you know, her coaching business and started making, you know, six figures really easily mm. or whatever. And you, I would hear these crazy stories. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I don't think anything that crazy will ever happen to me. Like so far, nothing that crazy had ever happened to me. You know, I was raised mm. in a really solid home. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any type of like crazy story. And I will say that a lot of times I think I, I've, I've heard people say like, because they don't have a crazy story, it doesn't end up propelling them. So sometimes it's a blessing, right? To have this like crazy thing happen because it propels you to do something totally different, totally like my life matters. I'm yes. going to go, you know, hell bent, do whatever yeah, I want. Yeah, but, sure. if you don't, but if you don't have that, sometimes you mm -hmm. don't take the action. So I remember sitting there at that conference and thinking, am I just going to do this mediocre thing for forever? Like I, I was kind of like living in the gray on this where like yeah. I wasn't doing big things. I wasn't doing small things. Like I was good at everything I tried. So it was mm -hmm. all pretty average, you know? And right. I remember being like, I almost need to like create my own like bad scenario in my mind of what's going to happen if I don't take action. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Right? Yeah. And I mean, so, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I feel like some people listening are probably like, 
okay, well, you know, good for Michael. He like is a cancer survivor. So of course he's going and living his best life. And, yeah. and, you know, like I, we're going to get more into your, your story of like your AA drugs, alcohol sure, stuff. Sure. Um, but it's like, they, some people might be like, well, I haven't had cancer. I haven't had drugs and alcohol. I haven't had all these like crazy things. My life's so normal. Right. Yeah. Well, you got to somehow, like if, if that's you and you're listening, you have to be you, awakened. Yes. Yeah. You got to do it by yourself sometimes like sometimes you don't have the the benefit of a horrible thing happening to propel you forward so you got to make it happen on your own yeah well definitely and part of that in kind of using an analogy i mean in, in aa a lot of times we talk about you know your bottom does not have to be you know my bottom or his bottom or her bottom you know i mean come in at a higher floor it's okay you know you don't have to go all the way down to the bottom floor mm. and have your life blown up before wow. you become awakened or become you step into your power and in a they talk a lot a lot about you know believing in a higher power you know so something more powerful than yourself that's a little bit about what superhero coaching is for me is like we all have a power within us and you can call that power you know part of the universe we're all connected you can call it god you can call it whatever you want but there's that power that's that's out there and that power is is bigger than anything now you are not that power, but you're part of that power. So if you can access that power, then that, you know, and you be, you know, you're able to utilize that power. You know, the way to do that too is, and I, you know, using the superhero analogy, because it's fun, is um, we have to deal with our own supervillain or our greatest arch enemy. And who is that? It's ourselves. It's within ourselves. Blocks, you know, things that are blocking us, you know, it's, you know, pulling those layers apart like an onion to where your power is. So mm -hmm. that's where the prayer and the med you know, meditation a lot, gratitude, you know, I know you're big on gratitude. I saw your video the other day. It was like very emotional. <laughs> I'm an emotional guy. So um, I actually have a gratitude gang online. So uh, on Instagram, it's called the super gratitude gang. And on Facebook, it's called the gratitude gang. So basically what I would do, and I was doing this when I had the cancer, take pictures of people and I would ask them three things to grateful for and then I would post it. And that helped me stay in a state of gratitude by practicing gratitude with somebody else, you know, by appreciating what they are grateful for. It gave me a sense of gratitude. Wow. And you know, I would do a lot of the pictures are like doctors and nurses and, and things like that from when I was in the hospital. I'd be like laying in the hospital, I got tubes up my nose and <laughs> my arms. I'm like, let me take a picture of you and post it on my gratitude gang. So the, you know, those things are, are really important. So, so if someone was listening right now and they want to join, can they join on, on, is yeah, it, Instagram? So the, like, it's a, join on Facebook? It's a Facebook group. Or? Yeah. The super gratitude gang on Instagram. And it's called the, uh, uh, it's called the gratitude gang on Facebook. Yeah. Okay, anybody cool. can yeah, we'll, we'll link them so that people can, yeah. can join in on that. That's yeah, really that'd be cool. great. That'd be great. And then oh, I always I take pictures. people can even send me photos and tell me what they're grateful for. As a matter of fact, I was thinking of you the other day, and then I saw your gratitude post, which was funny. I'm like, I gotta get Janelle's, uh, oh, you know, gratitude. Then I, I can I send it to you. I can totally yeah, send yeah, you that video, yeah, and you can, yeah, you can use it for your gratitude. Yeah, I use that. I'll put that on it too. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So that. That, those are just again tools to, um, you know, it's, it's easy to talk about, right? You and I having this discussion. We're both coaches. Um, you know, we both whatever we've been through. You know, we've decided to do this as our love and our passion and our work. And we want to, you know, help people step into that, you know, talking about is one thing. It's like, oh man, it's, you know, but then doing it is another thing. Mm -hmm. And that's why, and you can, you know, and you can get caught up in the shiny objects of all the courses online and all the influencers online and all that stuff, but you can be hypnotized by that. 
and you know completely just you know down that rabbit hole and not actually doing anything with your own life so it's really about it's really about action in life so it's about you know maybe learning something but then putting it into action and then again like i talk about getting some sort of support structure totally and i'm i'm a huge believer in that because a lot of times i feel like at least in the personal development world hmm. um it's like you hire a coach and then you hire another coach and then you go to another a conference and then you buy a course and, you, and you're like people are just constantly going 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 and i've had clients like this before and i'm like stop like after me or yeah. maybe like even actually one of the my clients i literally made her stop midway through her program and said she couldn't like i'm like don't do anything for a few months and then let's start again in a few months because you can't just keep, I guess it's kind of like reading a book almost. It's like, you can't just read, 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 but never retain and never go and, and put it into action. You've got to put that exactly. stuff into action. Yeah. And that really leads me to a question that I had because I asked you, what's a problem in the world that breaks your heart that you wish you could solve? And, and something that you said that really breaks your heart is that people give up on their dreams. Yeah. So I'm curious. So why yeah. is the problem near and dear to your heart, first of all? And then second of all, what should someone do? Like if they're listening and they're like, I don't, like I've heard this word dream so many times, believe in yourself, dream big, blah, 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 but what they, should they actually do to like get started? Um, well, to touch on that first a little bit, just in general of like, you know, how it's such a big deal out there. It's like, you know, we're born really as these perfect little humans, you know, from, from God or wherever you want to call it, you know, whatever your beliefs are. And, you know, then society gets, gets involved and it's like, you know, you're not good enough. You know, you'll never make it amount to anything. Um, you know, get your head out of the clouds, stop dreaming, that kind of stuff. And we start believing those things, you know, and I call those the dream thieves. So we have to protect our dreams. Right. And so for a lot of people, you know, I think as they get older, like, wow, how did I, you know, how did I get here? It's like 10 years later, five years later, and I'm still in the same place. Or maybe even, you know, I think that people are either sliding or climbing in life. And a lot of people are sliding. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what happened? You know, what happened? And, and I like to help people get in touch with their dreams. That's one of the questions I'm asking. Like, what did you want to do when you were a kid? You know, might somebody might say something that may not resonate, they may not be able to do now. But just the fact getting them back in touch with their dreams from when they were a kid. You know, I want to be a major league baseball player. Um, you know, so just. What did the, you want to be when you were a kid? A baseball player, probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I loved, I was a baseball player growing up, but then again, I was a hemophiliac as a, for blood disease. So I wasn't even able to, uh, I mean, I broke my femur in high school baseball, you know, one of nine broken bones. And, uh, you know, I wasn't able to take it past high school anyway, just because of my bleeding disease. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that, you know, just getting back in touch with it, you realize that, you know, you still do have dreams. You know, I'm, I'm 55 years old last month and I still have dreams. So all you young listeners out there, <laughs> you don't have to wait until you're 55, you know, get it going out. And I mean, I've always been a or kind if of- you are 55, it's still not too late. That's the other exactly, thing. That's exactly. If you're older than me too, it's still not too late. But I guess, you know, I've always been somebody that, um, this is the thing, if you have dreams, you also have to then wake up and get your feet on the floor and start moving. So it's, again, it's that action thing. So um, people that give up, you know, again, they're like on that treadmill of life and sometimes you don't even know it, but then you have something will trigger something. You have a moment of clarity, like, I can't believe this is where I'm at in life. And I guess, you know, through my own content and my own encouragement of people and then reaching out to people and then see if I coach people for 30 minutes, you know, I'm gonna get them in touch with their dreams. 
You know, I'm going to get them back in touch with even that childlike mentality, you know? Um, my favorite Freud quote is what a distressing contrastor contrastor is between a radiant intelligence of a child and the feeble mentality of an adult, mm. you know, and what's the difference between that, that child and that adult is just time, you know, it's time. And then people's influence, you know, we allow so much. And again, that's what I call the dream thief. So it's really just stepping back into maybe, you know, childhood, like kind of a curiosity and, um, you know, and it just starts with one step, you know, it doesn't, you know, we don't climb a mountain by just one big leap. It's one step at a time, milestones. Um, that's how you build something. And uh, yeah, so the dreams are really important and, and, um, and, and everybody has them uh, and it's up to people like us to help bring it out again. Yeah, totally. And like for myself, I remember growing up, I always wanted to be famous. Mm. That was like my big thing. I was like, I want to be a famous model or I want to be yeah. famous. Like I wanted to be like Hillary Duff or Mary Kate and Ashley. Like I just wanted to be an actress. No, I wasn't an actress. Actually, like I wanted to, I wanted to do modeling. I remember first, because mm. I remember thinking that would be the easiest because you didn't have to really like, I know, I'm not trying to say if you're a model. Yeah, no, no. I know you it's harder than it looks, yeah. but like, well, I've done actually a fair amount of modeling, so I know yeah. that it's harder than it looks, but I thought it'd be easier than memorizing lines because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have a good memory, so I don't know if I can memorize yeah. all the lines. But I remember thinking modeling all, I'd have to just look pretty for camera. But I remember I wanted to, um, I wanted to be in like a modeling show at the mall when I was yeah. like, I don't know, seven or eight. And I remember my parents, like, I was raised in a really strong Christian home, which I'm so grateful for. Um, but I think they thought that maybe that wasn't like, the proper thing to do for a Christian girl, like to be worried about modeling and like trying to look a certain way or something. Um, so I remember I didn't do the the modeling thing, which is totally fine. I ended up mm. doing it in like high school and college. But um, what's interesting is I remember thinking I wanted to have like a really big impact. So I remember when I started modeling in real life, um, I remember being like, this isn't like, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. Like I thought it was going to be something yeah. a little I don't know. I thought I'd have a bigger impact. Like I remember thinking mm -hmm. I would encourage young girls or something like that with my modeling. Cause I used to watch, Oh, there's this really good video and I actually play it in my workshops now. And it's a dove video and it's all about teaching girls and women about how they're more beautiful than they, than they know. I'll link it below. Right. If anyone wants yeah, to watch yeah, it yeah. in three minutes, I cry every time, but it's <laughs> to help women realize that they're more beautiful than they know. Right. And I remember thinking if I was a model, I could like teach on that or something yeah. i don't know you are you're doing that now anyway exactly exactly yeah. and so the whole point so is a pivot right there yeah and well and the whole point of me like sharing that story is just that like i actually felt bad for wanting that like for a long time i wanted to be mm. famous i wanted to be a celebrity or whatever and then i felt like that was bad so then i was like okay what's the no like what should i actually do and i was like okay what's a normal job you know i was like i should probably be like I went to school to be an event planner because I was like, okay, I'll probably make a wedding planner. That's a good job. You know, that's a yeah. good, you can have, you know, get a salary and, and that's good. But I like was denying the fact that I actually wanted to do something bigger. And I know yeah. that not everyone like wants something that big, but maybe you do and you're not allowing yourself to, or, or maybe you just want to do something totally different. Like maybe you're a, a woman who's in a career and all you really, really want deep, 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 deep down is to be a stay at home mom. Right. And, or maybe like your dream is to be an artist, but you know, you're doing something totally different. Like if I think it's really about being true to what you yes. really want, like kind of like what you're saying, go back to that childlikeness. So mm -hmm. now that I've allowed myself to go back to my childhood dream of wanting to be famous, but like, because yeah. I actually want to help people and I want to change lives. Yeah. Um, 
it's been really freeing because I just like can fully be myself. I'm not trying to be someone else. Right. Yeah. You show up a lot differently when you're, when you have that kind of, um, that epiphany, you know, yeah. you show up really, like you said, is your true self. And even when I talk about the superhero thing, I'm like, rip off the mask, you know, be the true self. I mean, you need a cape. You definitely need a cape. Yes, we, why didn't yeah. we wear capes for this podcast? What are we doing? We should have. We should have. We should have. We should have. Oh. Definitely rip off the mask, be your true self, and, um, and start anywhere. You know, just start. You want to write a book? How do you start? You sit down and you start writing something, right? You want to climb a mountain? You start with that first step. Whatever it might be, there's always a way to get there. You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is just look out in the world, all the great things that people do. You know, you can do it too. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So one more thing about the dreams, you know, and you're talking about being famous and stuff or, you know, I think at, how old was I? I guess like 42, 43. Um, you know, I left a six figure job in Connecticut. I mean, I was an entrepreneur when I was really young from 1985 to 2000. I started a commercial printing company a uh, mailhouse fulfillment shop, a drive through video store, a baseball card, comic book store, a greeting card company. So I created companies. We did about $40 million in that 15 years. Now I say that not to brag because I blew it all up. Okay. So, you know, don't wait, think that. So, wait, is that the part where you talk about like drugs and alcohol? Yeah. So after all that, I said, oh, I'll open a bar as well. <laughs> Bad idea. I started <laughs> on the drain of addiction pretty quickly um, when I did that. But at one point I'd gotten sober and then at, when I was 43 years old, um, I just gave up a six-figure job and moved to New York City to pursue my acting career. Oh. Now, important part here, though. Now, you know, I did some TV and a little bit of TV, a little bit of film, did some TV commercials, did a lot of theater work. Um, but because, because I wasn't really taking care of my own well-being and because um you know again that super villain like the blocks that weren't being dealt with Mm. were there i quickly got back into like the bar business in new york city because you know doing the auditions or whatever but i'm like oh i'm gonna bartend and i did that and once again because i hadn't dealt with certain things and stuff you know your dreams die in you when you're not you know fully healthy and taking care of yourself and you know stepping into that power and you know again that little super villain within us that arch enemy is like it's pulling you back it's resistance and it's just pulling you back so i'd gotten in new york city i really kind of blew, blew up my life again you know at that point wow. and uh, took me from that point i'd been sober for a bunch of years and at that point it took me like seven years to get sober again and here mm-hmm. i was older i should know better um you know, the birth of my granddaughter, my first granddaughter did, did not get me sober. And that's a powerful thing because when I talk about power and having a higher power, whatever it might be, put that power within us until you connect with that and kind of surrender to things, um, you know, not, nothing's going to, nothing's going to fix you, you know, nothing's going to make it better. So that's why I'm always talking about the power of like the power can heal everything, whatever power that, whatever the power looks like for you. Um, but in those seven years too, you know, at those, at that age, I did things that I thought I would never do, you know, ended up in places I never thought I would end up. Um, you know, and I share that just as a transparency thing, because no matter where you are in life, um, no matter what age you're at, you know, no matter how far down the scales you feel that you've gone, you know, you're valuable, you're worthy and, you know, and that you can, you can come through or you can come out of it, you know, and sometimes it's not easy, but again, that's asking for help and asking for support. 
Yeah, totally. So I know something you said earlier on was something like your three phases of life or stages of life or something like that. Um, uh, four stages. Oh, you mean my third chapter, I said? Is yeah, your third chapter. Oh. Yeah, maybe that's, well, that's, just more, that's, I guess, more my age. You know, I'm 55. It's like I'm going into the third chapter of my life. Wait, what's uh, the third? I don't know what that means. What do you mean? Just, you know, first chapter was like my when I was born to maybe 20 years old. And then, you know, 20 to 50 is like my second chapter in life. So now I'm going into my third chapter um, and it's going to be my best chapter. That's the way I look at it. You know, uh, I've got amazing memories and yeah, I have no regrets. I've made mistakes. Most of them self, most of the things that have happened to me are self-inflicted. That's another one. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's accountable for it all. Right. So when you're looking at your <laughs> you're accountable. So I take accountability, responsibility for myself. And um, so a lot of the things I did obviously were self-inflicted. Um, so I had a great, you know, upbringing. I had, you know, great memories of all of those times, but now I really feel like this chapter is going to be the most powerful chapter and I'm going to, you know, make the biggest impact in the world, you know, and, uh, you know, just every day wake up and be grateful. And part of that obviously is, uh, through a lot of the things I've been through and certainly the cancer journey as well. And what I find to be really cool is that you've actually found gratitude for the things you've been through. So it's like, you've mm. been through, you know, the, the drugs and the alcohol twice, mm -hmm. it sounds like, yeah. right? Recovering yeah, okay. and then falling back into it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, and then cancer. And, and, and what yeah. I love is like, you continue to find gratitude even for the mistakes you've made. And I think that's the hardest for us to do as humans, right? It's so hard right. to find gratitude for that because we really like to hold on to it and yeah. be like, I'm so yeah. mad at myself. We, Why beat did ourselves I up for, we beat ourselves up for failure for sure. Right, 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 yeah. totally. And that's with, too, even with business and things, you know, you know, I've had some successful businesses, but I've had some failures. And I don't want, you know, so I like to say, you know, you've probably heard this before, but fail fast. If you fail fast, you're going to get to success quicker. Now, I'm not saying to fail fast in drugs and alcohol. Not worth it. But in a way, if you are there, you know, hopefully you'll get to the, your bottom quicker, you know, sooner than later, even that, right? But just when you fail, people are, a lot of people are sitting on the bench in life or they're not even on the bench or in the spectator seats, right? Mm -hmm. They're not even playing the game. I yeah. get up to the bat and swing away. I mean, I strike out, but once in a while, I'll crank one over the fence, you know? So that's the way I look at it is like, get up, keep playing. You fall seven times, rise eight, you know, you, you climb that tree, you fall down, get back up and climb. It's just keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, you know, and a lot of people, that's how, when they give up on their dreams and their aspirations as well, when they fail, even the smallest failure and their self-worth goes down, I'm saying, Hey, whoever you are out there, whatever failures you think you've had, it's not as bad as you think. And people appreciate when you are resilient and you get back up and you get going again. And also what people think about you is none of your business anyway. So, <laughs> Mic drop. Boom. Yeah. Oh. I, I think that it. was Eleanor uh, Roosevelt, by the way. I don't want to take credit for that. Okay. Thank you for, thank you for giving credit. That would be yeah. so much of you. I'm just joking. Fifty-six percent of college students are women, and 48% of employees in the workplace are women, which is awesome. Ladies, this is proof that we are smart and working hard. But you know what's not so awesome? Only 29% of VPs and just 22% of C-suite executives are women. In male-dominated industries such as STEM, these numbers are even more startling. 
As these numbers state, women aren't lacking the knowledge, education, or ability to be leaders in the workplace. What many women are lacking is the competence to take on risk. Most of us have heard this one before. Men will apply for jobs they are 60% qualified for, yet women will only apply for jobs they are 100% qualified for. This type of stat also applies to women at their job, not willing to take on that new, unknown project. What she's lacking is the belief that her skills and abilities are not only quote-unquote okay, but are powerful and needed in the workplace. The Confidence Workshop is created to help women dig deep into their mindset and get to the root of this problem. If this conversation gets you as fired up as it gets me, we are now taking applications for this workshop for the ladies of STEM corporations. Please head to our website at nextlevelcompetent.com to learn more about the Confidence Workshop. Okay, so I have a few final questions for you. Um, One of them that I really like that you said is about surrendering um, to the process or like surrendering to God, surrendering to the higher power, whatever it is that someone believes in. What does that actually look like? Because I feel like people use words like that and it sounds like Mm. surrender, but like... It's it's even this, right? And, you know, uh, at times I've even struggled with emotional eating too, you know, things like that. But it's like you're fighting things. It's like... You know, I'm not going I'm, to, I'm, you know, I'm not going to eat this today or I'm not going to drink this today. It's always, you're always like, you know, fighting against it, you know? I mean, you know, I talk about battling cancer and being a cancer warrior, you know? So, you know, I am a fighter in general, but the minute that I stopped fighting against my drugs and alcohol, like, you know, and waking up in the morning and be like, I'm not going to use, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to use, I'm not going to drink, you know, that fight. And then like, then surrendering for me was, you know, dropping to my knees, you know, and asking God for help. Mm. And something came over me and it wasn't like a white lightning kind of moment, but through that process of like, uh, you know, just a surrender of um, just stop fighting it and, and, and like holding on with your fingertips on, an, on a ledge. It's almost like let go, you know, and then it just gives you a sense of peace to ask for help. So I think surrendering in a way, no matter what it might be, I think part of that process is asking for help. You know, not just being on your own. I mean, you don't want to be an island in that sense. You don't want to isolate yourself. So, um, and this is the thing too, people think that when you ask for help and like, you know, I've done this, I've done that, I've done these bad things. I'm, you know, I'm a drug addict, I'm an alcoholic. People, you know, you think people are going to think so much less of you. Like you're just, you know, you're a loser, you're not worthy. But I'm telling you right now from experience, when you come clean to the things that you've done, and that's part of the process for me is, you know, making amends and taking responsibility for my actions, you know, then people start to respect you. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you think it's bad, you know, people, you're, people know what you're doing. People know that you're hiding behind that stuff. So it's like, you know, come clean with it and be like, I need help. People are going to like lift you up and mm-hmm. people that don't, you don't need them in your life anyway, but your real friends are going to be walking in while everybody else is walking out. Yeah. So, you know, those are the people you need to surround yourself with people that are loving and forgiving and, you know, unconditional in that. Yeah, totally. And I think like this can even be in, in so many different areas of life. Like maybe it's just asking your husband for help with the dishes because you're tired of doing the dishes every night, or maybe you're of, you know, maybe you're a manager and you're not giving your, 
you know, your team mm -hmm. and at work, you're taking it all on your own shoulders and you're not right. asking for help because you're trying to pretend like you're someone that you're not, right? Or you're yeah. trying to pretend and like you're And then you get resentful help. and you get, you know, you get tired, you get resentful, you like, you get angry, you get upset, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it, this can be like really big things, like what you're talking about, right? With like needing, right. like asking for support with, with drugs or alcohol or something you're really struggling with. And, and yeah. honestly with COVID, you know, I saw a stat the other day that suicide rates are up 200%. So like this conversation has to do with that. Like if you're struggling with your, you, with your literal life, please, please, please ask for help. Yeah, for and sure. if you're not struggling like that, if you're in a healthier spot, but you're just mm. struggling in the way of like getting frustrated at the examples already, it's frustrated at your husband, frustrated at your team, frustrated at your boss because you're not asking for help or you're not letting them know what what you yeah. need from them it's not fair because they don't know no one knows what you need unless you're willing to ask for it it shows nobody by keeping it in yeah it really mm -hmm. yeah it really doesn't so i love that you said that and that that's part of the surrender process is yes. one going to god praying dropping to your knees asking for change right because so mm -hmm. often we sit in the i don't want to do this i don't want this i don't want this i don't we say everything we don't want and then we create more of it because we're focusing on what we don't want because yeah. What you focus on, you create more of. So if you focus on what you don't want, you'll cre keep creating more of that. Right. Whereas if you focus on, okay, like God is good. He's going to take care of me. Yeah. I can do this. I can make a change. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure I can do this, this, and this. I'm, I'm capable of this, this, and this. It, speaking mm -hmm. life over yourself and sure. don't let yourself speak the, the lies. Absolutely. And obviously I know God works in your life. God works in my life. I do want to say for people that, Hey, maybe they don't believe in God and that's right. cool. You know what I mean? Go out to the ocean, go out to a lake. If you live in the Midwest, whatever, go out to the woods, find yourself in a peaceful environment, you know, reflect, meditate, feel the presence of whatever is surrounding you. And mm -hmm. for people like that, you know, um, you know, we talk about in AA or whatever, like a higher power, like, something more powerful than you. Well, the ocean is more powerful than me. Yeah. So that can be a higher power. No problem. You know, look up into the sky, the moon, the sun, whatever it might be. And so that's also a way for people that may not, you know, believe what I believe or what right. you believe or what somebody else believes, you know, every, there's lots of gods out there and it's cool. You, you know, whatever your jam is, but yeah, uh, you know, that's, I think it's really important to be able to, uh, you know, use meditation, I think in those instances. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for sharing yeah, that for people who don't who don't believe yeah, in God. Sure. Um, okay, one more question. This I want this one to be a kind of a short one, and then yeah, I'm going to ask you one more short one, and then power hour. Okay, right. so you said that something you wish people knew more about was that coaching isn't therapy. Will you explain to people what is the difference between between coaching and therapy? Okay, quick answer. Therapy is more past related. Coaching is present and future. And basically it's putting speed to your dreams and goals. Woo, my job. Oh. Boom. Okay, so if you could urge every listener right now to walk away from this podcast and take specific on one action item, take one specific action item step, what would it be? Um, it would be to create a well-being list and an action list of things that will increase your power either spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally. What I mean spiritually, faith or, you know, gratitude or whatever it might be, meditation, physical, taking care of our physical being. Um, mental is improving our minds and, you know, learning something. And emotional is improving our relationships, whether it's our relationship with God, whether it's relationship with ourselves, 
whether it's a relationship with the people, um, with other people. Because everything that you do in life, you're either increasing or decreasing one of those four powers. Mm. So good. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the Next Level Confident podcast. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank so you. You are you. awesome, amazing, and powerful. And <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, I appreciate you having me. Right back at you. Talk to you soon. You Bye. Bet.